the Lord. Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Today it was my privilege to be able to teach in the Wisdom Seekers class. I always enjoy that opportunity. There's a lot of good words that go out from there every week. And during that time, we looked at um, a new dimension of understanding regarding what is known as the Beatitudes. But um, I would encourage you, if you've not listened to that live or weren't in there, to to hear that to hear that uh, teaching. Uh, but particularly today, we're going to look at one of the verses there and see what the Lord is saying to us as a people through this verse. And that that verse is Matthew chapter five verse 3. And we know the setting there. Jesus uh, went up into a mountain and um, there was the opportunity for him to teach. And he opened his mouth and he began teaching them by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I remember on this uh, Palm Sunday the story of our Lord coming into Jerusalem and looking out over the city and weeping because there had been a rejection of all that the prophets had taught over the years and certainly um, in so many ways a rejection of him, God himself, coming to walk among them. And to me, one of the major things that the Lord came to do is encapsulated here in this message of what is known as the Beatitudes. Um, we, we see a progression here of what you and I have embraced as saints. We see a progression of the seven spirits, the partnership with God, and then we see a reiteration of what that would cost people, but the result of partnering with God. And throughout this passage, we see the Lord repeating a word over and over again, blessed are they, blessed are you, blessed is this, blessed is that. And it's always this word um, from the Greek makarios, which indicates two things. First of all, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. It's, it's a, a thought that came from hundreds of years of Greek culture that there was a world beyond this one and that you eventually were going to end up, uh, as a result of what you did in this life, either living with, in the spirit realm with God or you were going to be somewhere else. <laughs> and in life, you had to partner with the spirit realm more so than anything on earth. 
And the key thing in life for the, for the Greek people, even though they were dealing with a mythological system, even though they were dealing with uh, a lot of um, demonic scripts, whether it was uh, Olympus or whatever other framework, they did have an understanding that this world was not all that there was, that you needed to live according to a spiritual walk rather than just this earth. Jesus, understanding that concept, uses this wonderful word to state over and over again, makarios, makarios, makarios. And then he was giving the, the, the real truth of, of, of God Almighty and that there is a heaven and that he has a throne that's over all things. There's none to compare with him. And that the reality of life is that even though we're in this world, we're not of this world. We need to live in partnership with God. And we need to be those that are, um, no matter what happens on earth, not moved uh, exceedingly by those things. You can be influenced by them without being changed by them. We, you can be, you're not going to be con conformed to what's going on in this world, but you're going to be transformed through God. And that's really the, uh, Jesus took that Greek mentality and he, he made it into the pure thing that God was really saying. And so everywhere he says this, bless, 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 he is stating that theme that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. He was stating that theme that no matter what happens in the natural, there is an eternal, and that they, even though we're human beings on this earth, there is a God, the one true God, and partnering with him is all that matters in life. That is the true point of blessing. And that's what Jesus said over and over and over again. You know, I made mention earlier today that we, we've taught about the law of first issuance in Scripture. We've talked about the law of the double issuance where a word or a name is repeated, and that's for intimacy. Well, here you have <laughs> the law of, of the, the blessed over and over and over and over and over. It's as if Jesus is uh, accentuating this theme and that we need to, we need to see what he's saying and, and we need to apply that in our lives. And so what he's going to give a list here of is what I believe is an invitation to partner with the seven spirits. And you can hear that teaching in, in a fuller way by accessing the archives for wisdom seekers. However, um, for us today, we're going to look at this first verse, which is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they have the opportunity of moving in the kingdom of heaven and representing the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to us through God. And this is a, such an interesting verse because it speaks about the vulnerability of God. This is, not, this is not blessed are the poor living a monastic lifestyle. This is not blessed are the poor who have decided to uh, just walk around in, uh, 
in a sackcloth robe and never owning anything. I mean, that, that is not what's being said here because it's very clearly poor in spirit. This has to do with the spirit that God has given us. And, it, and it's within us that can only be born again through Christ. But it also speaks of the spirit of our God. This is poor in spirit. Well, how in the world can that be? What does that mean? Now, we've talked about this in the past, and what we've said is true, but it's not to the depth that we're going to look at today. We've said that to be poor in spirit recognizes that we always need more of the spirit. That's true. We recognize that no matter how much we receive, there should be a hunger for additional things from God. That's true. Recognizing that no matter how much we know or have partnered with God in, in respect to the, the, the great nature of who he is, we, we have very little and we need more. That is true. But with all of that being established, this means something uh, much more profound for us. And it really indicates what God wants to do through you and me and how he offers his partnership to us. And we as saints should recognize what we're going to talk about here because we really, as saints, have yielded ourselves as intercessors. We have yielded ourselves before the throne of God. And we say we're going to pray in diversities of tongues. We're going to pray in, in unknown tongues, the mysteries of God, so that what you intended from the beginning, your purpose, your will, will be brought into life in a way that either the rebellion of the enemy or sin or iniquity or just plain not paying attention uh, has relegated your purpose and will to inactivity. We want to see your kingdom come, your will be done. And that's the heart of Hagios. That's the heart of the saints. So what we're going to talk about here with being poor in spirit, we should understand this clearly. We've been given a functional capacity as saints. God just caused us to hit the ground running if we were willing to as we prayed and were on our face. This has been our lifestyle. But here we see in this verse the Lord opening it up to show us the heart of God. Poor in spirit really describes him in relationship to what his will and his purpose are. What do I mean by that? Well, um, again, for those of you who are in class, this is a bit redundant, but we're going to go a bit deeper here. Um, in the Greek language, there were two main words that indicated someone being poor. The first, which is not this word, meant that somebody was simply a mi mismanaged their funds or maybe they didn't understand what it meant to, to gain wealth. They didn't understand the principles of success. And they, maybe they just uh, earned things and squandered rather than investing wisely. And um, so they were just always hand to mouth. They were just a hard worker, perhaps, but they just never really had much to show for it. Now, I'm not going to point a finger at why that would happen, but that was certainly 
a capacity, and the Greeks understood that, and that was a word that they used to describe that. Now, that is not the word used here when Jesus is talking. So, in other words, he's not saying, you know, just live your life, you know, let tomorrow whatever will be will be, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't have any savings, you know, just, just live as if you're on the wind. That is not what he's saying. That is, that is not... <laughs> That is not the word that he's used. But the word that is used is in alignment with the Hebrew concept of, of uh, being poor. And the word that is used means that a person could become poor for, for a number of reasons. And they would include perhaps they had been done wrong, perhaps something that had been stolen from them. Perhaps circumstances had come against them, and through no fault of their own, their livelihood and their, their points of prospering were deprived of them. And, and in so many ways, they were then um, destitute or poor uh, because of that. A notable example of this was when Jesus sat by the alms box and uh, he was watching people come and, and give into the temple. And there came a little woman. I'm assuming she was little. I didn't see a picture of her. But she, uh, she was a widow and she put in the two mites and Jesus called her this poor widow. We don't know what her life was. But we do know that she had probably endured some very hard things. Uh, I don't know her dossier, so I can't say what those things were. But Jesus specifically identified that this woman had in some ways endured hardship. And yet, she gave out of her increase. And over and over again, you find the Lord in 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 his teaching using this particular word. Um, and we'll talk about them a little bit more, two, two other instances of this when, when we are drawing to the end of the message. But this Greek word um, actually included in it a, a measure of crouching or being prostrate. And um, it, it, it could involve begging, but it also, again, extended into the, the Hebrew concept of, of poor. And this is a very interesting study because um, basically the book of Deuteronomy says that there should be no poor people in Israel. Uh, when they came into the land, everybody was supposed to be an inheritor. And um, in the book of Psalms, it would talk about how that somebody that was in that condition of having their inheritance at risk, that when they called upon the Lord, God was the protector of this kind of person. God, Yahweh, was the one who watched over the poor. And and it's interesting to me that the, the Hebrew term that is used to describe the poor has in it the root of grace. So there's something about 
the promise of God, inheritance, uh, what Yahweh watches over with that inheritance. And if that be taken away, or if that be uh, in some way uh, lost, that God wants it restored. You know, you have the principle of, of if somebody had debts and they became an indentured servant, after the six years, on the seventh year, they were free. Or the, the Jubilee law or principle, God was very much interested in the Old Testament uh, for people to fulfill what their inheritance was. And that, uh, that idea of a lost inheritance or a stolen inheritance or something where someone was deceived or, um, or some hor horrific thing, maybe war or whatever, um, that if you were poor in that way, you were really equated with Yahweh because Yahweh watched over that. And in fact, it, it's also interesting that uh, when you had this word that described the poor uh, and you, you had that element of grace, and this is just a direct quote from um, a wonderful resource, uh, you'll find that the proximity to that word and righteousness and holy, those three were always in the same neighborhood. So, um, what we're what we're saying here is that when Jesus says being poor in spirit in regard to the kingdom of heaven we who live for him in this world but not of this world we will accept the fact that God is all about restoring what he intended from the beginning so how could anything be poor in spirit? Well, think about this. As saints, again, we've talked about how when we pray, either because of the rebellion or the enemy encamped uh, in, uh, in strongholds where the histemes are or um, iniquity twisting the purpose of God or sin, um, causing the purpose of God to be trampled upon or it being ignored or it being mocked or ridiculed, and we pray about that. The, the point is, is that since the rebellion, what God originally intended, intended was hindered from him. Now, he could have wiped the enemy out immediately. We know that. He's not an aggrieved being. But yet, he intends his jealousy is for what I've intended for the beginning to be done. And, and so, again, that's the heart of the saints. That's the heart of spiritual warfare. That's the heart of all we are and as, as believers or should be. So Jesus begins this magnificent invitation to partner with the ways of God by saying, blessed are you being poor in spirit to embrace this mentality that you are in this world but not of this world, and the reason you're in this world is so that you can partner with the Heavenly Father as sons to restore what was wrongfully taken, to restore what the enemy came to steal, to kill, to destroy, to restore what iniquity had attempted to consume. We're in the midst of a world that's battling that right now.
And it's been ratcheted up over the past few years, if you've noticed. Things that we see that are just, a, uh, just an open mockery of God are happening all around us on a continual basis. And so this idea of, of what God intended from the beginning, the warfare for that is really at a heightened state, and it will probably become uh, more widely perceived in the natural in the days to come. And in fact, not probably. I know that it will be. So when we are poor, using this specified word that links with the Old Testament covenant of, of God wanting people to achieve their inheritance, what about God's inheritance? What about the kingdom of heaven? We, we read in the Bible that you know, some people would say, no, we don't read in the Bible, some people would say. Some people would say, well, Jesus won it all. You know, he's, he's the victor. Well, what about the book of Revelation where it, toward the end of the book it says the kingdoms of this world are now become the kingdoms of our God? I mean, there's still a war out there. What God intends in some ways, in some ways, it is right to say you attach this word with grace to what God originally intended. It was stolen. It was corrupted. It was absconded. And we as saints stand before the throne as intercessors, and we say, we're in this world, we're not of this world. We pray, we're on our face before you that your kingdom come, your will be done. We're standing in the power of the cross of Christ, and we say that you have bought and paid for our right to do that, and what your kingdom is intended to be from the foundation of the world. That is what has been deprived of the kingdom of God to this point. So Jesus begins this glorious teaching by saying, Makarios, what you see around you in the natural is not all there is. And you know, eternity is not all that you see just in the natural. Start living as if you know that. Be in this world, yes, but not of this world. And partner with that Spirit of God within you on behalf of the Spirit of God that is everywhere but primarily focused at the throne above all things and recognize that there have been things that have been taken from that divine one that he's giving you the opportunity to partner with him to restore. That is what poor in spirit means. Poor in spirit. What an amazing concept. What an amazing thing. And I think it's interesting that the reflection of even the way God set things up in the Old Covenant with the, with the people with their inheritance, they came into the land. Moses broke uh, off the, the tribal inheritances, and all the tribes were, had their specific places. But what they were supposed to do was to be before that Ark of the Covenant to establish a dwelling place for God and to send out tabernacles from that place, not just that little sliver of land along the med, but to go into all the world and to repossess the places that God created for His glory. 
Do you see that? That's what that whole business of going into all the world was about for, uh, for the people of God. And in fact, that's why the angel came up at one point from Gilgal and said, what are you doing? You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're just kind of hanging around here. You're not, you're not going out the way that you were commanded to go. That, I wonder about that day. I believe what the Word of God says. I wonder about that day. What must that have been like when the angel showed up and said that? What did he look like? What did he proclaim? How loud was it? Did all of them hear it? I don't know. But the Bible says it, so it has to be. So uh, the point, though, is, is that the whole structure of them gaining their individual pursuit and then being willing to go out from there is all in conjunction with this poor in spirit and the will of God. And in fact, when Jesus said before he ascended, go you into all the world, preach the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, this the same principle because it's all God's kingdom. And that's why it's so important for us as we as saints are, are being commissioned to go into the nations and to establish these almost daily now teachings into other parts of the world to equip the indigenous peoples in those places to establish the kingdom. Why? Because they must be poor in spirit. They are aligned with God on behalf of his eternal will, which is why it was Yahweh, Jehovah, that was the one who guarded over the poor. And we say, well, you know, it's Elohim. It's just all love. It's all peacefulness. No, no. It's that dimension of God that has a plan, that has a war mentality to go and take what is God's and not allow the enemy to continue to hold on to that. I think this is amazing. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Now, you may read this and you may see a commentator that says, and I read this in two places, which is really kind of interesting to me. They said, now, when Luke mentions this, he does not say poor in spirit. He just says poor. But Luke really didn't list these Beatitudes, if you look at it. He, through interviewing others, mentioned a couple of quote-unquote verses, but he was ba basically giving a synopsis. Now, Matthew, the tax collector, was there. <laughs> he wasn't interviewing somebody, and I appreciate what Luke did, but I have a feeling that Matthew just wrote this verbatim with what point by point by point by point by point. And he recognized that this is almost a legal invitation. This is a legal document because you can read it. I mean, it's amazing to me. And again, what we looked at earlier, I hate to keep referencing that. I would encourage you to hear this because it goes through how the seven spirits are there, and it fits just wonderfully. And then Jesus comes back in verse 10, and he brings up the kingdom of heaven again, and he says, if you embrace this, you better be ready, 
because while you're in this world representing heaven, you're going to be persecuted for what God shows you. There's going to be opposition, whether it comes from the demonic realm or people that are representing the demonic realm or people that are just being ornery. I mean, and sometimes, as I've mentioned over the years, I've seen some people who are just flat-out nasty, and the, the, the devil doesn't need to do anything to help them. If he could recruit them right into the demonic army, he'd do it. I've seen people that did things that were just despicable, and it was just all them. You probably have too. But the point, though, is that um, there will be persecution. So I don't find any I don't find any quibbling with what Luke said. Luke's was accurate. But here is the verbatim account from Matthew. And it's very clear. And it's, it's the sum total of all of it. I believe that Luke was just, under the anointing of the Spirit, just bringing a synopsis of it. And it is true, too. It's the Word of God. But here is point by point. And I'm grateful for it. Now, it's interesting, too, that when we embrace this kind of a, a lifestyle um, and we understand what that word really means, it kind of eliminates the idea that some people that just kind of socialize the gospel and uh, some of the progressive people, they take this verse and they run with it. And they say, well, you know, what's the first thing Jesus said in the Beatitudes? You just go out and wherever you find a poor person, brother, you better, you better just give everything you got. Now, I believe we should be philanthropic. I'm not taking away from that. But when we understand what this word for poor is, we recognize that a lot of what we see characterized as poor is not the poor at all that Jesus was speaking about. And you can't just cherry pick this one verse out of the context of all of this progression. This leads, as, as Dennis mentioned, this leads one by one by one, just like the seven spirits of God do. He is one. This is his ways. And so I, I just think those that would just try to make this a social gospel are missing the point because, again, Jesus leads off by saying, you know, there's something beyond this natural world. You need to be living up here. Now, he didn't say this, but it's the same principle. Far above all principalities and powers, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You are there. Your conversation is there. And, and so start living like it, because that's where you're going to be in eternity. That's the whole theme of what Makarios suggested. For the Greeks, they had an idea of this, but they didn't have Christ. They had a lot of demonic itinerations. But when Christ comes and uses the same word, he says, let me show you what this is really about. This is earth, but there's a heaven. And you're in this earth, but you're not of it. Now, let's go to these two passages that I said we were also going to look at. But as you turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, which is, a reiteration of Isaiah 61, um, I, I just have to say again that this is what we've talked about thus far is really the vulnerability of God. It was Jesus 
stating the reason he came to earth to offer us the privilege of partnering with God. And in that, to redeem what had been taken from us. What had been taken from God's desire and will for human beings. Created in His image. And, and so, it was, it was the privilege of us reclaiming that partnership, but also us partnering with God to reclaim not just that, but all that he had in mind when he created us, when he envisioned us before the foundation of the world, and when he created this earth for his glory. What a wonderful thing. The vulnerability of God to yield himself to that so that we might come into that place of partnership with him. If it had not been for that, he would have just wiped the enemy out and all of those demonic beings that fell with him. But he loved you and me so much that he would allow for that glorious thing that he envisioned with you, with me, so that we would partner with him to make that kingdom come to life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The spirit within us in conjunction with the Spirit of God. Not poor in the natural, not poor in holdings, but poor in spirit. We cannot miss that point. So here is Jesus' first sermon in Luke 4. Uh, it shouldn't surprise any of you that he begins by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach this good news to who? The poor. Why the poor? Because his anointing, when he came, was to redeem you and me into this service we've been talking about. And then he, he goes through this beautiful progression. Let's just look at it quickly. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Oh, you're just brokenhearted. Well, let's look at what that means. Heal is the omai, which means to restore somebody to function, to restore to function. What was brokenhearted? Well, heart there is cardia, and the broken part is a curious word because it means it's just been worn down. It's just been worn down like a part that wears out. It's, it's, not, been, it's not been, for whatever reason, able to, to, uh, to function the way it was created to, and therefore it's worn out. That's very interesting. So it really has nothing to do with somebody doing you wrong or whatever. That happens in life. But let's not associate our emotional foibles with what this scripture really says. So if the gospel's being preached to the poor, if we receive it, what should first happen? We should say, okay, I want my heart to be functioning as you created it to function. I don't want to just be spinning my wheels. I want there to be function. I don't want there to be a lot of noise or a lot of college tries. Let it work in the way you created it to work. What about deliverance to the captives? I love this one. 
because captives literally means to be at spear point. What does that mean? Somebody's been conquered. There is somebody else in the land who's taken control and is ruling by the spear. If this doesn't talk about spiritual warfare, I don't know what does. So what does it say? I'm going to preach deliverance. I'm going to declare you don't have to be suffering under this demonic bondage anymore. I'm going to equip you as you function right in partnership with me to throw that guy out, to overcome, to cast this down and let the kingdom of God be known. And, and with that, the recovering of sight to the blind. I'm going to begin to restore your ability to see and to hear and to, and to perceive what I want. I'm going to direct you. You're not going to be in the, in the fog of the God of this world, being confused, not seeing the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. You're going to be able to see and perceive if you're willing, and you're going to follow me now that you've been uh, partnered with me, now that you are functioning as you should be, not just wearing yourself out. If you felt you've ever done that in the natural, you know what that's like. You just keep trying over and over and over again, and it's just not working. We've always had that. Now, I know that sometimes that's inventiveness, you know, like what Edison said about the discovery of the light bulb. You know, do you, or you feel badly that you had all those failed experiments. No, we didn't fail. We just learned the ways that a light bulb wouldn't work. And, you know, but we've all been in a position where you just think, wait, I might not be doing something right. And when you find it out, you say, oh, this is great. We need to all be functioning. And then we need to be deliverers, and we need to be walking with vision, which sounds a whole lot like what it was supposed to be like with the Ark of the Covenant. But then it revisits this word, aphiasis. You, you can see it there, preach deliverance. It's the same as to set at liberty. And here, it is those that are bruised. Now, this is an interesting word because it means it's very similar to, um, to having something ripped away or having something destroyed. Sounds a whole lot like poor in spirit where something has been attacked and obliterated. There's the picture of a warfare scene uh, where, you know, like if you see uh, pictures from Ukraine or whatever, and you see bridges that are just obliterated, or you see buildings that are just shards because they were bombed or whatever. Um, we, we recognize that <laughs> what we uncover in and spiritual warfare might need some rebuilding. It might need some uh, replenishing like what our government rightly did when we went in and tried to rebuild, help to rebuild Europe after World War II and help to rebuild J Japan. Um, I, I think that this is, this is that term, them that are bruised. So when, when we are going forward, we're going to encounter people who are living in that condition. And we need to help them. We need to teach them. We need to provide for them. We've, we've discovered you. And, and things need to be rebuilt here. You need to be resupplied here so that you too can function. 
Maybe you don't understand what God has given you. Maybe you don't understand the histemi that is really yours. Maybe it has been so misused and abused that it doesn't even look remotely like what God initially wanted. That's the concept of this bruised. And then to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The main thing about this acceptable is really that you've done everything that God wanted you to do. Obedience being better than sacrifice. You're there at his request. You're there at his timing. You're offering what he asked you to offer. And this is in conjunction with the Lord. So this was Jesus' first sermon. I mean, it's just interesting to me that he's just basically, again, leading off with this business of, hey, will you partner with God? You know, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to this earth, as Isaiah prophesied, to make this available for you. And he's really describing the functionality of the army of God here, which makes perfect sense then when you see him preach again in the book of Matthew as we read this instruction as to how to partner with the Spirit of God. It's the same agenda, all rooted in, will you embrace my will? Will you embrace my purpose? Will you as intercessors, uh, embracing the burden of the Lord, come alongside me? Because the kingdom of, it seems like I read this somewhere. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. What's that mean? Take it. Well, why don't we just confess it? Why don't we just argue it? No, you stand your ground. You stand in that Peretz. And if the enemy, you, first you drive the enemy out when God directs you. You stand there. I search for one to stand in that gap. And when he tries to come back, you withstand. There's so many of these words. These are all invitations. And what's the purpose of it? God could just do it like that quicker than just the snap or the wink of his eye. But he's interested in you. He's interested in what your inheritance is that was robbed from you with the curse of Adam. And he wants to restore that first of all so that then you can join with him to see his kingdom come, his will be done. Master, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. When you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. You say this, Our Father who is in heaven, holy, hagias, your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow, that sounds like the Beatitudes. That sounds like Luke 4, doesn't it? Same thing. Jesus means the same thing. And, and I love this. I, I love this concept. I'm sad with this last passage that we're going to read, and it's in Mark chapter 10. You remember the rich young ruler that came. And he came to talk to the Lord and he's telling about how asking, how do I how do I attain eternal life? How do I how do I please God more fully? You know, I've kept the law, I've done all these different things, and you know, I've really done them 
to the hilt. And we often reference, and rightfully so, that what Jesus asked him to do, the guy was unwilling to do, and he walked away. But let's look at this more closely. Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, beholding this man, agapeo him. He was looking at him through the eyes of the agape of God. Will you be willing to breathe hard after what God's purpose is, what he wants at the throne? Jesus looked on this man. This was almost like an invitation that he gave to the disciples or what probably was offered to the 70. He was offering this man the chance to walk with him. And Jesus looks at him with the eyes of agape. Not phileo, not eros, not any of the other uh, common ideals of social endeavor, but agape. And he says, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. There's that word. And when you do that, you'll have treasure, thesauros, in heaven. So come, take up the cross, and follow me. What in the world is Jesus talking about the cross here? <laughs> he hasn't hung on the cross yet. That whole thing's not there. Jesus is opening up a vital view of why he came to this earth, to this man. He, he sees him through eyes of agape. He opens up this idea of the poor, leaving it all, not just to give to the poor and then live on skid row as some testament to philanthropic devotion to God. He's saying, come and follow me. Partner with what heaven has to hold. You walk with me now as opposed to the man that was delivered of the legion, and he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you stay here as a testament. It wasn't as any of the others that says, you go show yourself to the priest and you testify. To this man, he is offering the pathway of agape to really be one of his inner circle. But he puts as the fulcrum of it all, you sell what you have, and invest in the poor, this type of poor. That's interesting to me. And it reminds me of how God called you. He looked at you with the eyes of agape. And he said, will you be willing to serve my Father before the throne to fulfill his will? Will you be willing to invest yourself in the poor, the poor uh, representing in spirit what you are to be, what the Father's kingdom needs, and what people around the world who also need to know this, to come into alignment with what their inheritance is? Will you give everything that you are for that? Now, God didn't ask all of us to empty our bank accounts. 
But he sure did ask us to offer up who you are, didn't he? You know, there are people that give away money that it's no skin off their nose, you know? They, they're still who they are. What God asked about was you. Sell everything of who you are and embrace this measure of redeeming inheritance and take up the cross in this spirit of agape and follow me. You did that. I mean, you may not be saying, well, yeah, I did that. Look at me. I'm saying you did that. Because this is the mission of God. This was Jesus' mission in his first sermon. This was the mission of the Almighty when Isaiah prophesied it. This is the mission that Jesus proclaimed in the Beatitudes and so many other places throughout the New Testament. And when Jesus came to Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and he looked out over and he wept, it was because so many who the prophets had declared this throughout the Old Testament, that mission of taking the kingdom throughout the world, it wasn't just you're rejecting the Messiah. That was the big one. But he references the prophets. You've rejected the prophets. What were the prophets saying? What were the prophets saying those days? You need to do away with the demonic. You need to do away with these idols. And you need to go and establish the kingdom. That was always God's attempt. When Jerusalem was established, that was always God's intent. And it's God's intent through you and me, which is why our mission in these dark days to the world is ever so much uh, important, more so than at any other time. The time is short. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We're about the inheritance God has called us to be. And we're about the inheritance of what His will has ordained. For when we do that, the kingdom of heaven is what we're functioning in. It's ours because it's His. And we're one with Him. I'm grateful for this. I, I feel that this, yesterday as I was praying in, in, uh, in regard to first Saturday and we were reflecting on the, the, the fourth month of fast of feasting and we were talking about poising, positioning ourselves to go forward, this resolutely came to me. And, and I know that I'm, I'm just very grateful. <laughs> I'll say this and I'm almost done. Um, we're only able to, to grasp what God is trying to show us here because you've lived this. This is not new for you. You've walked it with the Lord gladly. Gladly. And I, I thank you for that. Whether you're here in this house or wherever you may be as part of this saint's family, on behalf of the Word of God uh, and the words of Jesus, I thank you for that. I mean, and, and you know, you talk about this and you see this core message 
of Jesus? Wow. To lead off this message with this verse. You know, just right at the beginning, this is the essence. It wasn't any other thing. It was this. And the specific words that are used, it, it is more than poetic. Only the Lord could do something like this. Only the Lord could, could, through the anointing of the Spirit, string these concepts together and create this masterpiece. While these scriptures have been used in so many ways to try to encourage people to be better people, how to live your life so you don't offend, we were joking about that earlier, uh, this has been used in so many ways, and the Word of God can be used. The Word of God has something for everybody. But the core of what Jesus was saying, for a people that want all that He has for us, this is some heady stuff. This goes right to the core of everything we are, everything that the throne of God represents, everything that our partnership and our sonship represents. This is a treatise from our Lord Jesus of how to partner with the throne in the kingdom, through eternity, in spiritual warfare, in um, taking cities for God, this is it. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm very thankful that we've had the privilege to walk this together and will continue to walk it. In nations that we know, in nations that we haven't even uh, recognized the invitation to yet, but it's, it's being written out right now. <laughs> and, um, but... This will forevermore be our message because it's God's message. And um, everything we've done to this point has been commensurate with serving this task, whether it's going, knowing the Father, praying in the Spirit, becoming sons, being on our face before God, establishing the cross, standing in the gap, and so many others. All of those fall under the canopy of this simple and beautiful invitation that your will be done, Father. Your kingdom come in us and in the places that you would direct us. So this last scripture that we looked at with the rich young ruler, <laughs> I look at all of you and I say, yeah, you accepted those eyes of agape. You laid yourself out before the Lord. You have embraced this message to what it really means to be poor. You're investing in the thesaurus in heaven. You're coming. You're willing to go. You're taking up the cross as the Father directs and you're doing the very best that you can to follow him. That's the message of the Beatitudes. That's the message of Jesus' first message, Isaiah's prophecy. It's the message of our identity in God. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that the release of this scripture to us in this new, wonderful 
inspirational way would help us to move forward with greater alacrity in following you. We love you, Father. Help us not to fail you. Help us to be exactly what you want, and don't let us miss any factor of your calling. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen your people. I ask and I declare that you will release your, your restoration. If, there's, if there are areas of our life that is below our inheritance in you, whether that's emotionally, whether that's occupationally, whether that's financially, whether that's physically, whether it's something to do in the spirit realm, or whatever it might be, we lay claim now in Jesus' name to the installation of that factor that Jehovah watches over, that every one of your people would walk in their inheritance in you so that we might partner with you to bring about the inheritance of the kingdom. I bless, I speak healing, I speak provision, I speak encouragement, I speak clarity of mind. If there's something in life that's just been wearing you down, be set free from it in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, for this privilege. We walk in your freedom now. For we ask it all in Jesus' name to walk with him. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. God bless all of you. And remember, this coming Friday, uh, we'll have the communion elements here. Um, please avail yourself of time with the Lord as he directs you. God bless you all. Goodbye.